Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, for those of you I don't know, uh, my name's Todd, and I'm the lead pastor today. And uh, I am joined, and I want to introduce uh, my good friend, Jerry McCarron. Why don't you guys give it up for Jerry McCarron? Jerry and his wife, Sonny, is down here. Uh, they have uh, been a part of our church for, oh, man, since you guys moved here from from Texas yes. a year and a half ago. Yes. All right. You didn't move here from Ohio? The promised land. You sure? Okay. All right. They call it the promised land. <laughs> and uh, they uh, joined our church, uh, part of our church. And um, he's been a pastor for 50 years. And uh, when I, man, when I think about a faithful life, which you're going to be talking about today, I think about a man who was able to serve in uh, upstate South Carolina. Um, and that by itself is enough. All right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So anyway, and in Africa and in Texas uh, for over 50 years in the ministry. And uh, so I've asked him to uh, come today and uh, be a part of the series that we have going on, which is uh, we're in the study of the Psalms this summer, and uh, he's going to take Psalm 37 this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to have you, Jerry. Thank you so much for being here and bringing God's Word uh, to your church and our church, and I'm so glad to have you. I, I told him I might introduce him as a, um, a guy who's been a pastor for 50 years and be easy on him because this is his first time speaking, but I won't. Dude, you, they're, they're not going to laugh at that at all. I, they didn't. So anyway, so it didn't go very well, did it? You don't have a whole yeah. lot of friends. There. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> hey, Jerry, thank you so much, man, for being here. Why don't you give it up for Pastor Jerry McCarran. We're in this series from the book of Psalms, and Todd has done an incredible job. It's, we've called it Selah. Salah is an incredible term. It is a word that is sort of a brief Sabbath rest. It is a time of contemplation. And as you read through the Psalms, there will be a pause where you stop and you ponder and you think and you say, Salah. This morning... We're going to take the 37th Psalm of David. And we're going to walk through this Psalm. We have a lot to cover, so listen fast. I want to read, first of all, just the first seven verses. Follow along with me from the NIV. David says, Do not fret because of evil men. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither. And like green plants, they'll soon die away. But you trust in the Lord. And you do good. And you will dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. You delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when 
men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. In order for us to understand this particular psalm, we need to know something about the author. The author is David. David is Jesse's youngest boy, his pride and joy. When we first see David, we see him as this young shepherd boy, this pimply-faced teenager with a pocket full of rocks running down the valley of Elah, and he's calling out Goliath, and he's going to put him down. He's going to silence him and the Philistine nation once and for all. And then God takes him later and, and he takes him from obscurity from, from shepherding sheep to, to shepherding a nation. And he puts him on the throne and, and throughout the life of David, David has so many enemies because he has to go up through against all of the various nations and, and, and he has to fight against them and, and they hate him and they're always pursuing him. I mean, they've put wanted posters all over the Judean hills. David wanted dead or alive. They send armies out after him, but they can't find him. They send death squads out to fetch him, but they can't get him. David is on the run. He is a man of God. And we remember him when the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart which means here is a man who was passionate about Jehovah. But he wasn't a perfect man. In fact, when the Spirit paints a portrait of God's servants, he paints warts and all. The Spirit doesn't airbrush over any blemishes or try to cover any scars. And whenever the Spirit gives us a portrait of David, we see the dark side of him. For not only was he a man after God's own heart, but David has blood on his hands. He has killed a man by the name of Uriah the Hittite. He has adultery in his heart. But that's a man that we can appreciate because he was like us. He's like us. I love this man. He's the kind of man that you can go and have a cup of coffee with. David is the kind of man you want to walk along the beach with. David is a man who has all kinds of scars. But the greatest healer are those who suffer the greatest pain. And so you can go with David. But through the years, he has all kinds of enemies that have come up against him. And so many of his psalms, he writes about the enemies. He says, Lord, they're multiplying before me. Lord, they're cursing me. Lord, that they're undermining me. David has enemies among the Ammonites, the Amorites, the, the Philistines. You name the nation and they hate him and they're, they're trying to take him out. And he's begging for God. In fact, I think it's Psalm 42 that he comes along and he says, You know what, God? You know what they're saying? They're saying, David, where is your God? And David says, God, where are you? 
I've been praying to you and it seems as though the blinds are pulled. It seems as though there's a, there's a do not disturb sign on the front door. God, please help me. And David is vindictive and he's vengeful. And from psalm to psalm, he just simply says, God, get rid of them. Wipe them out. But then, as we come to the 37th Psalm, things begin to shift. Here is a man that, as I read some of the Psalms, I, I say, David, you've got some real, real issues here. You've got some serious problems here. I mean, I think you're a bit manic depressive. David, I, I, I think you just like a pity party. David, I, I, I think that you're paranoid. David, I think you need to go into some anger management. And as I look at, at David's personality, as he deals with the enemies that are surrounding him, I begin to think, I have felt like that on occasions as a pastor. I have sensed paranoia. There have been times that I wondered, does anybody have my back? There have been times that I was on the mountaintop on Sunday and I cratered come Monday. There were times that I, I was probably even clinically depressed. And I want to promise you, if you're living for God, if you're a leader, wherever you are, you've got a target on your back. You have the enemies. David comes along, and in one of his psalms, he comes along and he makes this statement. He said, oh, I wish that I just had the wings of a dove. I could just fly away and be at rest. Fly far away, he said, into the desert. To a place of refuge. You want to know why David wants to go to the desert? Because there's not any people there. But God is there. And God does his best work with his people in the desert. So that's why. And so let, let's go to the 37th Psalm. Let's go in it and we watch him because suddenly David is talking about the enemy in a way that, that we haven't read about him in, in previous days. And I think the key is when you look on down, I think it's verse 25 in the 37th Psalm, he makes a statement, and I think this, this statement is key to understanding his mood and the way he talks about the enemy in chapter 37. He simply says, I once was young, but now I'm old. But I have seen that God has never abandoned the righteous, nor has his children gone begging for bread. I think the key is at the very beginning of that text. He says, I was young, and now I'm old. As I thought about that, and I think about it with Todd, I promise you the sermons I preached at 22 were not the same as the one I preached at 32. And the ones at 32 were not the same as 42. And the ones I preached at 42 were not the same as the ones I preached at 52. And the ones at 52, not the same as the ones at 62. And I'm now 72 and everything has shifted. Because I promise you through the years, your worldview begins to change. 
I promise you through the years, you begin to experience God. And when you begin to experience God, you understand He is not your enemy. He is your Father. That He has embraced you with, the, with His Son. He has filled you with His Spirit. And because of that, you can face anything the world throws at you. David said, I was young, and now I'm old. Let's hear what he says, because he writes to us in tough times, and he wants us to have a tough faith. Notice what he says in the opening verses of, of chapter 37. He says, you know, don't fret. When, you, when you're facing evil and evil men, don't fret. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Because it only produces more anger, more retaliation, more vindictiveness. Don't go there, Jerry. I know you're angry, but, but don't live that kind of life. And he moves on and he says, I, I want you not to be envious of the wicked. David was surrounded by wicked people. He was surrounded by people trying to take him out. And some of them were sitting around his dining room table. But he says, don't envy the wicked. Have you ever envied the wicked? <laughs> I have. When I look down the street and a guy who's a God-denying, God-cursing man who does not love the Lord and he's driving a Ferrari and I'm driving the community smoke bomb, I'm a little <laughs> bit envious. When a man who has absolutely no integrity and everything that he touches turns to gold, and everything I touch turns to a monthly payment, I'm a little bit envious. I'm envious. But David says, don't be envious, because I want to remind you a little bit later, he says they're like the grass. It's not going to last. In about verse 10 and 11 of chapter 37, he says, I want you to know this. He says, Jerry, it, it is better for you to be righteous and have little than to be like the ungodly and have much. And the reason why is because the ungodly is going to lose it all. Lose it all. So he says, Jerry, whenever you face the enemy, Todd, when you face the enemy, you refrain from evil, you refrain from anger, and don't be envious, you follow me. And there are times that we ask the tough questions. There are times I've offered prayers and I, like I say, I, I see this do not disturb on, on the gate. And I wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? Jeremiah in chapter 12 comes along and he says, Lord, you're righteous in all of your justice, but I want to ask this question. Why do the wicked prosper? And why do they live at ease? Have you ever asked that question? Solomon comes along and he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, he says, God, I just want to ask you this question. Why is it, why is it that the wicked get what the righteous deserve and the righteous get what the wicked deserves? Why? Have you ever asked those questions? I have. Let me tell you something. The God I serve is neither intimidated or insulted when we ask the hard questions because he knows our heart. 
And so we look at David, and David comes along and he says, When you face the enemy, don't fret, don't be envious of the wicked. And in verse 3, he says, Here's what you must do. Trust in the Lord. Solomon says, Trust in Jehovah with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways you acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Trust in me. Lean on me. Rely on me. I am dependable. Do you remember the mountain climber? He's ascending this granite peak. The rope begins to unravel. He begins to slide. He grabs hold of a of a tree limb and he's clinging to that and he realizes it's not going to last and it can't hold on very long and he cries out to God oh God please save me and God said will you do what I ask you to do and he says I will do anything and God said let go and then the man said is there anybody else up there that's the kind of way we are. God says, trust in me. Rely on me. I spoke this world into existence. I can empower you to deal with evil and with the enemy. Trust in me. Then he comes along and he makes this statement. And this is the most difficult of all. I know for this guy sitting over there because his personality and mine are a lot alike. He says, I want you to learn to be patient and to be still. You know how difficult that is when you're Scotch-Irish? <laughs> Basically, if I put that into my translation, God simply says, Jerry, put a sock in it. Just zip it. Trust in me. Trust in me, Jerry. Be still. We are so busy. We don't take time to just pull away and listen. To breathe in. Salah. We don't take the time. And the reason we can't hear God is because we're talking over Him. And the reason we can't watch Him work is because we're working over Him. He says, be still. Give me some room. Give me some space. I'm going to show up, and we're going to resolve this. Then in verse 27, he says, I want you to turn from evil and do good. Don't become consumed by an evil world. Don't be duped by the enemy. Do good. Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 25. He says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me to eat, and I was thirsty, and you, you gave me to drink, and I was sick, and you came to visit with me, and I was in prison, and you showed up, and Simon said, Lord, when in the world do that? He said, for as oft as you did it unto one of the least of these, you did it unto me. Let me tell you something. When we as a church start doing those kind of good deeds on this island, there will be a revival. Do good. The Lord says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. You draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And you're going to learn in your journey that the closer to Jesus and closer to God you get, the more like him you're going to look. 
He's going to change us and make us into the image of his son. In verse 31, he says, I want you to keep my law. I want you to keep my word. David in other psalms says, let me tell you something. I meditate on your word day and night. Job says, Lord, I love your word more than my necessary food. It is like honey to the lips. I crave it. Jesus said, I want you to hunger. And I want you to thirst after righteousness. So you'll be filled. As I look at this text, I, I see three lessons that I want us to leave with today, okay? In facing the enemy, in facing temptation, when, when Satan is going to try to dismantle our marriages, try to dismantle our faith, try to dismantle our church, there are three things that I want you to remember. First of all, the enemy is real, so be wise. Be wise. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, you know, we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And if you're a coach, you know exactly what he's talking about because if you're a football coach, before Friday night gets, arrives, you've already been, see, you've been watching film about the opposition come next Friday night. You're, you're studying the flaws of the quarterback. Or maybe there's an interior lineman that has a weak side to him. Whatever it is, you study the schemes. You and I need to be acquainted with the one who is cunning and who is deadly and who is out to take your children and to take your soul. He's crafty. Be wise. He says, put on the whole armor of God. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You pick up the, the sword of the Spirit. You put on the helmet of salvation. Your feet are going to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. And he says, I want you to go in the face of the enemy, and I want you to stand. And you stay there till you die. Stand. The enemy is real. Be wise. But God is real. Be obedient. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Paul says the commandments of God are not grievous. They're not burdensome. Every commandment that God has given is given for our benefit, for our edification, and for our maturation. We need to be people who are obedient to the word of God, who say, Lord, speak, for this thy servant hears. We need to be obedient. There is a lot of what I call truth decay going on in our churches. We have a lot of folks that are sitting in, the, in our chairs and our pews across America that are not into the word of God. They're not feeding themselves upon the word of God. The diet is not from God. But I want to encourage you, listen to Fox and CN less and listen to God more, and it'll make a difference. Thirdly, heaven is real. Live triumphantly. Live triumphantly. You are a child of the king. 
You have royal blood coursing through your veins. You have his name is on your heart. And do you know what? He loves you so much. He has your name on his refrigerator. You're on his Facebook page. He loves you. And the Bible says that God inclines his ear to us. He wants to hear from us. Heaven is so real. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day. And not only to me, but to all. That's us who will love his appearing. Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, guys, I'm coming back. And I'm taking you with me. And they said, hold on. We don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You can bank on it. You can bank on it. Heaven is real. You think this is a beautiful place? You haven't seen anything yet. In fact, I'm convinced, and I told Todd this, that I think everybody who lives on Hilton Head Island on Judgment Day, God's going to send us to the back of the line. <laughs> For you haven't seen anything yet. When Jesus went to prepare a place for you, it is in. It's incredible. His name is Dimitri. He lives with his wife and boys in a small village four hours north of Moscow. A few years ago, he and his wife discovered a family Bible after the communists had destroyed all the churches and taken all the Bibles, but they had one. And they began to read and they began to pray and they said, let's share this with our boys. And so they started sharing some Bible stories. Then they'd ask the boys, tell us the stories back. And, and they began singing a song. They call it the heart song. And they celebrated scripture and they celebrated prayer. And, and next door the people said, what's going on? We're hearing music come from y'all's house. They said, well, we're just, we're just singing and praying and celebrating God. And they said, could we join you? They said, well, yeah, come on over. 25 people are there. The authorities find out about it. They come and threaten Dimitri. They beat him up right there in the, in the midst of his small group. And they said, stop it or, or we'll come back and give you more. Next week, there was 50 at the small group. And then there were 75 packed in. They're standing up, reading and praising God and singing the heart song. They came. He said, we told you, come with us. They took him 600 miles away from his family. They put him in the prison of Moscow's worst criminals, 1,500 criminals. They defied him. They were the enemy. They cursed him. But every morning, Dmitri would go and he would stand in the iron bar. He 
He'd raise his hands before God and he would quote scripture and he would sing the heart song and he would pray a prayer. The authorities would come, drag him out, take him into the courtyard, beat him again. And every time he passed, they would throw urine on him and feces and garbage and everything else on him as he's coming and going from one beating to the next for 17 years. He finally came and said, your wife is now dead. Your boys are in prison. Your house has been destroyed. He said, I'm through. You've broken me off. Sign the paper. But in the night he had a vision, and in that vision his wife wasn't dead. She was on her knees praying. The boys were still alive. When they bought the paper the next morning, he said, I will not sign it. And they hauled him out and beat him again. And they brought him back, and they said, Who are you? He said, I am a child of the living God. And Jesus is my brother. Finally, on the day that they freed him, after 17 years, when he walked that corridor for the last time, 1,500 prisoners were standing in their prison cells with arms lifted, singing the heart song. You want to know why Dimitri could do that? He knew who the enemy was and he was wise. He knew who God was and he was obedient. And he knew that heaven was a reality. And so he could say, bring it on. He claimed the words of Jesus that I am the resurrection and the life. He claimed the words of Jesus when he said, Even though you die, you shall live again. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a psalm this morning. It is a familiar psalm and it goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack for nothing. I shall never lack for rest because he makes me lie down in green pastures. I shall never lack for refreshment because he leads me beside the quiet waters. I will never lack for forgiveness because the shepherd restores my soul. I will never lack for guidance, O oh Lord, because you guide me in the paths of righteousness. And I will never go alone. I will never lack for companionship because you walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And you know, Lord, I'll never lack for comfort. And I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And Lord, I will never lack for sustenance because you prepare a table before me even in the presence of my enemies. And I'll never lack for joy because you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
I will never lack for anything because surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will never fear the future because you are my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all the church said, Amen.